Welcome to the Free Diving Journal, deep dive number one, mouthfill equalization. My name is Donnie. I'm the host of the Free Diving Journal. This podcast is the ultimate source of knowledge and entertainment for the breath hold divers of the world. We take deep dives into free diving techniques, science, and lifestyle. We have monthly news dispatches from around the free diving universe. We have live stream get togethers with elite free divers and breath hold beginners alike. The podcast can be found at freedaventhrive.com slash journal and on all good podcast players. Don't forget the journal's sister podcast, The Free Dive Cafe, over at freedivecafe.com for long-form interviews with the world's greatest freedivers. Today we embark on our first ever deep dive episode. The deep dive episodes are intended to drill down into the intricacies of an aspect of freediving technique or science or lifestyle. We will ask the most common questions related to this topic and hear answers from some leaders in the freediving community. I will try to bring everything together into a coherent whole that will hopefully help you better understand this topic. Today's topic is mouthfill equalization, as chosen by the Patreon supporters, and today we are joined by Aaron Solomons, Federico Mana, Andrea Zuccari, Julia Mose, Sarah Campbell, Marco Nones, and Enchante Gallardo. I will also be sharing a little bit of my own insight into the topic. Many of you will be wondering uh, where Eric Fata is. <laughs> was he asked to be on the show? Yes, he was. I've mailed with him in the past, but never managed to bring him forward for the Free Dive Cafe interview, and I didn't hear anything back from him the last time I contacted him, so I tried, but to no avail. More information can be found about the guests on the show notes for this episode at freediveandthrive.com. Special thanks to the Patreon supporters for their contribution to this episode. I interviewed seven guests for this episode. We came out with about three and a half hours of audio interviews. Of course, I couldn't put all that into one episode, so I've condensed it down to about one hour and 20 minutes. But Patreon supporters can get access to the full uninterrupted audio over at patreon.com slash freedivecafe or through the members page on freediveandthrive.com. Thanks a million guys for listening and supporting and thanks to new patron Anton. Before we get into the episode, a couple of quick announcements. I'm teaching freediving courses and workshops in Dahab, Egypt in July of this year. You can find more information about that at the website freediveandthrive.com slash courses. I'm starting to get serious about producing more video content. This week, I uploaded a couple of new videos to YouTube, including a 30-minute yoga asana routine designed specifically for freedivers. You can follow along to that. It's the same routine I teach in detail in my Freediving Lifestyle Fundamentals workshop, so it's meant to be kind of a uh, support or additional material for people who attend that workshop, but also stands quite nicely on its own, I hope. 
Search for Freedive and Thrive on YouTube and subscribe and hit the ding ding notification bell and like the videos, etc, etc. Okay, time to take our first deep dive. The topic is mouthfill equalization. Let's dive. Okay, mouthfill equalization. Today we're going to answer the questions, what is mouthfill, when should it be learned, how do we perform it, what dry exercises can we do to develop it, are partial lung dives helpful for developing mouthfill, and what are the main reasons for difficulties when performing the technique. First, just a little bit about my own experience. I first started to properly learn mouthfill equalization in preparation for my first instructor course back in 2018. Up to that point, I'd only been using regular Frenzel, and as far as I remember, I took Frenzel to 42 meters without any issues in the Philippines in 2017. That was during my Ida 4 course. Now, I remember having to at least demonstrate mouthfill technique for my Ida 4 course, but I always remember just being comfortable to go deeper with Frenzel and see how far I could take it. And I'm sure any mouthfilling I did was awkward and messy and probably didn't help that much. At that time, I'd already started with the Freedive Cafe podcast, I'd already interviewed and communicated with a lot of people in the freediving community, and was beginning to realize that there was a little bit of controversy and even tribalism regarding the mouthfill technique, if and when it should be learned and by whom. It seemed that some people were adamant that if mouthfill should be learned at all, it should only be learned after Frenzel was taken relatively deep. And some people said that mouthfill was ultimately much safer than deep frenzeling and should already be learned as the diver was beginning to approach their so-called failure depth or residual volume depth. Now, on that instructor course, I remember doing a dive to about 47 meters with mouthfill and with a mask. That was more than good enough to pass the requirement, but I think that after that, I just continued frenzeling on my deep dives. I eventually dived to 50 meter with Frenzel, and the next year I went back and dived to 52 with Frenzel. So it wasn't until my attempted move to Bali in 2020 that I remember really starting to use mouthfill methodically, eventually diving to 58 meters before the pandemic forced me back to Taiwan. I can't really tell you what inspired me to switch to mouthfill. I just actually can't remember, but that's what happened. After nearly two years without any real deep diving, I started again with deep training in December 2021, about four months ago. And in December, I returned to 50 meters pretty quickly, dived consistently almost every week, one to four times. And since then, I've worked up to 73 meters in free immersion. I did 70 in competition, smoothly, relatively easily, building up to those depths using mouthfill on every dive. So I can say from my own experience that I took Frenzel reasonably deep before I invested more time in mouthfill, but that now I'm basically a converted mouthfiller. However, many questions remain in my mind about the most effective way to equalize deeply for myself, and even more questions remain about how and when to train a student in the technique. One more thing. In the autumn of 2020, I began RV training, residual volume training with Aaron Solomons. It was an enormously valuable few weeks of progress that I made. It taught me more about equalization, relaxation during deep diving, and what I call the subtle realm of equalization than I had learned in all the years up to that point. 
in a way, I feel like it was the lessons learned in this few weeks of RV training more than a year ago that enabled me a year later to make such smooth progress in the last four months using mouthfeel. So there's a whole thing there. We can explore all of that in more detail later. It's uh, just a bit about my own experience. Let's head over to the guests now to hear from them. The first question is, what is mouthfeel? And we'll let Aaron Solomons get us started. Well, let's begin with what it is, yeah. Um, it's a mixture of the frenzel technique and, uh, and filling your mouth. So, sounds pretty simple, right? We fill up the mouth using the air spaces above the glottis to hold a, a large amount of air, which we then use to equalize on the trip down to the target depth. Sarah Campbell explains in more detail. Mouthfill is a technique that enables us to equalize our ears below residual volume depths. Residual volume depths is where our air spaces are compressed to a level where we are no longer able to um, draw air up or manipulate them safely. Um, and it's a process of <clears throat> moving air from the lungs into the throat and the mouth and then closing, closing that off. So you've now got these two separate air chambers instead of one air chamber through from the sinuses down to the lungs. You separate the sinuses and the throat space from the lungs, and you use that air to equalize. Federico Mana was instrumental in exploring and systematizing equalization for freediving. Uh, the mouthfeel is a new way to perform frenzel. Okay, uh, it has been invented by Eric Fattah in 2001, and uh, he understood that. Uh, we can equalize with frenzel technique in a different way from the instinctive one. What do I mean? The instinctive frenzel equalization is usually done, done by the tongue that push the air to the middle ear, uh, pushing like a piston. Okay. Of course, uh, uh, the, the air that you can push uh, by the tongue and by the larynx is the, the air that you can store between the palate and uh, and the tongue. So if you are not used to keep, to drop down very much the tongue, you do not store a lot of air. Okay, so the mouthfeel is the most evolved frenzel equalization technique. Is a technique where you learn, you know, the, the real name is Frenzel Fatta because the technique is a, is a Frenzel, is a, officially a Frenzel. The mouthfeel is the moment when you charge the air into the oropharynx and you try to fill completely your mouth. And then you will use not only the tongue to push the air uh, to the middle ear, but you will learn to use also the other structure that can change the volume in your oropharynx. I mean, the jaw compression and the cheeks compression. So the full technique can be considered a frenzel where you learn to push by the tongue, by the jaw, and by the cheeks. 
So Federico explaining there how mouthfeel is basically an extension or evolution of the classic Frenzel technique. Now let's welcome Andrea Zuccari, well known in the freediving world for his teaching of equalization. Uh, let's say that the mouthfeel is a depth equalization technique where in a specific depth before reaching the residual volume, the freediver fulfill the oral cavity to the maximum of the volume that he can uh, charge. And then from that moment, uh, he try to keep a tiny constant pressure, managing uh, the delta of air that we charge to balance the pressure volume of the middle ears and uh, the dead space in the head until uh, when you run out of air in the oral cavity and then you turn and go back. That uh, is the short sentence. And uh, so the term mouthfeel today doesn't match anymore our knowledge because we know that for uh, any equalization technique, we mouthfeel. What's changed is the amount of air that we shift and then how we use it. So we mouthfeel for the sequential, we mouthfeel for the traditional, we mouthfeel for everything. Okay, except for the Valsalva that in freediving we don't use it. So Andrea basically puts what Federico says, this puts the same thing another way and describes Frenzel itself as a form of mouthfeel. Andrea also mentioned the idea of the delta there, which we'll come back to later in the episode when we're talking to Marco Nones. Let's hear from Julia Mose. She's a well-known coach to freediving athletes based in Bali. Okay, so mouthfeel is an advanced equalization technique that um, help us protect the lungs from injuries. So basically what we do is um, instead of uh, shifting air from the lungs to the mouth to equalize, we just uh, store air in the mouth to be able to equalize in deep dives from a place where it's, which is uh, very comfortable to take the air into the mouth um, all the way to the depths. So it basically what it does is that uh, it protects the lungs from injuries because um, at a certain part of the dive, we just store the air in the mouth and then we keep on using that air for the rest of the equalization which is uh, possible because the deeper we go, the less changes we have in the volume and in the pressure. So when you take the mouthfeel and when you store the air in your mouth, um, normally you do it between 12 to 20 meters. It's easy to store this air, but actually afterwards, the changes in the pressure are not so significant. So that's why it's a very successful equalization technique. Now, there was a time before mouthfeel was universally known in the freediving world. The idea first emerged on the scene, to the best of my knowledge, in 2001, in a document written by Eric Fata titled The Frenzel Technique Step-by-Step, in which the mouthfeel is not explicitly named, but seems to be described in the document. I'll link to it in the show notes. Here the guests talk about mouthfeel emerging on the scene and how they got started with it. So I uh, remember when 
I I was working. Uh, I was looking for some information about equalization in uh, on internet. So I wa- I was just surfing uh, on uh, on internet, and I found an article uh, where uh, Eric Fatta described in two thousand one uh, the mouthfeel uh, technique. But I fall in this article uh, in uh, at the end of 2004. So I was just uh, an instructor since a few years. So I was trying to understand a little bit more about equalization. And I noticed that this article was extremely interesting and talking about equalization in a little bit different way. So I did the, the translation, the Italian translation about this article in 2005. And in the, in the main period, I was um, <coughs> starting to write my first book about, uh, about equalization. Uh, but the mouthfeel in this period was uh, something really unknown. There were really a few free divers that were able to do it, to explain it, and to understand how to use it. And that's why I was only teaching in this period of my life. I started to compete in 2007, and I wasn't able to to manage, to, to use, to perform the, the mouthfeel. That's why until the 2008, uh, I was diving, free diving and competing with the normal uh, uh, frenzel skills. Okay, so with no instinctive uh, frenzel, trying to follow um, the, the main teaching that were... Uh, that was available in this uh, era of free diving. I mean, in this period, uh, everyone were talking about relaxation, about to learn how to shift air very deep, uh, learning uh, stretching your rib cage, stretching your diaphragm and all the respiratory system. So I was training, still training on this uh, with this method. That's why I went to, I did my 90 meters record in 2008 with normal frenzel skills. In, at the end of 2008, I met Patrick Musimu, that was a great teacher and it was a very aware athlete. He was, uh, um, a free diver that was um, trying different exercises. He was extremely aware about his body, and uh, he teach me uh, how to perform uh, mouthfeel in uh, in three days, uh, suggesting me some dry exercises, and I started to perform uh, mouthfeel and. Uh, Thanks to the mouthfeel, the in 2009 I've been able to to perform my 100 meters in uh, in constant weight, but uh, it was still it, it was not the technique that I I use today. So it was a new technique for me. So I was charging 
trying to fill my mouth very very deep uh, using this uh, this air but uh, in the last 10 years uh, i completely changed my um, my approach and i develop uh, i work a lot on the mouthfeel technique and we create uh, uh, different exercises to to master it uh, properly uh, when I started, I didn't have any knowledge about the equalization. And uh, starting here in Egypt, uh, uh, I didn't have the chance to have contact with uh, many other freedivers. And personally, in the beginning, I didn't found any issue for the equalization because uh, I've been able to go zero, 80 meters in uh, less than one year. And uh, then, like one couple of years later, I decided to try to go a little bit deeper. And uh, in the same time, uh, uh, Patrick Musimo came in Charm looking for uh, a buddy for a uh, um, world record in tandem on the sled. And the target is supposed to be deeper than 120 meters. So I started to train and then I realized that the normal equalization that I used to do it, in that moment I even didn't know what I was doing and it was not working anymore or uh, deeper than 80 plus meters. So I needed to start to do something else. Patrick uh, was the first person to talk uh, with me about the mouse feel. And, uh, but I need to admit that the description was really a little bit uh, too easy. Fulfill your oral cavity, squeeze and go. That was the beginning and the end of the explication of the mouse feel. Uh, then uh, I started anyway to try somehow to put in practice this, equal, this equalization technique. And at the same time, it came in my help uh, Linda Paganelli. She knows already the mouse feel. She had already some experience about, so she gave me some extra tips. And finally, the same year, uh, something went wrong with Patrick. He decided to change idea, so he didn't come in Egypt for some political reason. And, but I was training, so I decided to go for a national record and for the first time, I've been able to dive in under 20 meters on the sled uh, with a mask, using the mouse wheel. So since that year, we are talking about 2009, I started to work and to develop the mouse wheel. So there we can both hear Federico and Andrea remembering how Patrick Musumo taught them mouthfeel. Patrick, now no longer with us, unfortunately. Marco Nones is the head of Only One Apnea Center in Sharm el-Sheikh and has a lot of appreciation for Federico's advancement of the techniques. Yeah, interesting question, because in, in 2006, um, uh, I... Um, it was a very different age from now, to be honest. Uh, and that in that uh, time, uh, we start organizing the 2006, uh, 2007, sorry, World Championship uh, that we host uh, here in Sharm. We did the 2007 and 2008 AIDA World Championship. It was the uh, the single World Championship, and then the team World Championship. On that time, there were uh, uh, big names: uh, Martin Zayak, uh, were uh, Carlos Costes competing. So all those people, and there was. There were not much uh, knowledge about uh, scientific knowledge about uh, proper equalization techniques. There were a lot of uh, myths 
about how to apologize on that uh, with the air in the mouth, uh, something like that. But on that time, uh, uh, there were still not any books uh, or any scientific uh, material uh, to, to teach and to learn how that it was, how, how was working. Um, so was the first contact with the word mousefield, but there were a, a lot of confusion about uh, what does it mean exactly, how does it work, uh, which are the, um, the, 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 the muscles involved, the apparatus involved in that kind of uh, uh, equalization techniques. Um, on that time, there was a big confusion between uh, uh, the, what I mean, uh, mousefield, and what uh, we can call it mousefield fata or frenzel fata. Um, that is, an, in my personal uh, opinion, is just uh, a, an introduction to the full mouse. That's, uh, um, that's how I see it. So there were more about mystery, about uh, the tongue and the cheeks, uh, how to press, how not to press, and soft palate. Some of those parts were very not very well known, the soft palate, uh, the function of the soft palate, and, and so then after a few years, uh, uh, Federico Mana, that probably you know, uh, an Italian guy was working, uh, collaborating with us here in Charm, he started um, writing down the first, uh, in my opinion, uh, and still one of the best uh, manual for advanced equalization uh, techniques. And from that moment, then it was much easier to teach it uh, and to understand that since we have a manual to use it to build up our lessons and some, some, some concepts. Let's say that, in my opinion, Federico was the, the, the scout somehow for uh, all the equalization uh, techniques, all the equalization uh, process, because he spent uh, uh, really long time analyzing, uh, uh, understanding how things work. Uh, in a moment in which there were not uh, many people at all uh, mm -hmm. understanding those stuff. So he did a lot of uh, personal research with uh, doctors uh, and with uh, medical equipment equip to understand how, physiologically speaking, the equalization was really working. Yeah, I think it was in its early stages of um, being adopted. So... I was so, so lucky when I started freediving, mainly in 2007. Um, it was a big year for freediving in, in Egypt. So triple depth was, you know, kind of the big uh, international competition, not connected to AIDA or uh, not connected to the Worlds. And then we had um, we had the Worlds in Sham that year. So <clears throat> just everyone, the great and the good, came to train in Dahab uh, pre-Worlds all summer. And, uh, you know, that's what I put down to my fairly remarkably uh, fast progression in the sport was that I just had access to all these amazing guys who were, who were deeper than me. I do remember the first time trying the mouth fill <clears throat> and <laughs> it was, it was kind of a, it was a funny experience. So, you know, I, I was with Lotta Erickson. She explained me what to do. So, you know, I got, I get down to about 20, 15, 20 meters, fill my cheeks up, start heading down and then just kind of stop, come back to the surface. Something's not right. So she's like, well, what's, you know, she's trying to sort of troubleshoot with me. What's happening? What's happening? Okay, I'll go again. And I did this about two, three, four times. I can't even remember. And every time I was just like, something's wrong. And I came back up. 
And, you know, she's ticking off, well, what could it be? You know, do you have pain in your ears? Are you stressed? Are you blah, 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 blah? Are you swallowing? And they're like, everything was a no. And I had this real eureka moment because she said, okay, well, you're not in pain. You haven't swallowed the air. So you're, you're equalizing, you're doing it. You're doing the mouthfeel. And it was such a weird sensation those first few times of free falling and having um, constant pressure on my ears. So I wasn't having that pop, 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 pop of doing frenzel. And just there was something in me was like, oh, something's wrong. But it wasn't. It was absolutely perfectly right. But I completely freaked out because I just didn't understand, like, the the whole mechanics behind it. Um, so, yeah, that was sort of how it started. And, yeah, it was it was a process of it's just a lot of time I think that you need to put in to to get mouthful working because you're working with muscles that you never use in normal life you didn't even know that you had um and I think I had a an advantage from my yoga practice because they're actually you're using the bandas these muscular locks particularly jalandara banda which is the the throat lock in yoga or the neck lock which is basically closing the glottis and so I think that that enabled me to kind of get a grip over it fairly quickly. And, you know, by the end of the season, 2007, I had my first three world records and um, the gold in Sham in constant weight, which was a rather nice year. So what does everyone think about the mouthfeel? Who's for it and who's against it? And what are the nuances in between? Andrea. I believe that the pure mouthfeel is probably the best equalization technique to dive really deep, but uh, it's not the easiest one. And especially if you want to manage uh, perfect, then uh, there are also other options where instead to charge to the hundred percent, you charge a little bit less and uh, the management is not perfect, but then is enough for your target. It's okay. But the truth is that uh, I don't uh, believe that the pure mouse feel uh, is one of the easiest equalization technique to learn. So that's why on average, if I have a free divers uh, diving uh, deeper than 30, but not super deep, uh, I prefer to teach uh, the sequential frenzel or as we say, mouse on demand because it's much uh, easier. And anyway, the target that you can reach anyway is really important. I mean, with the sequential is possible to dive deeper than 100 meters. And the truth is that there are not so many free divers worldwide in the big numbers that they dive so deep. It's not something that I use or recommend. Uh, all the education agencies have made a dog's dinner of this. Uh, they're teaching it to 24-meter divers to get to 30 meters. I can't think of anything more ridiculous if, if I live for the next 100 years. Uh, I think that's absolutely absurd. So what's happening is that people who don't know how to do a frenzel properly are taking what should be a deep water technique in order to get to a shallow depth, which means that their frenzel technique, which on which the, the whole basis of this thing is, is dependent, that the frenzel technique should be good. So they're doing a very poor frenzel and then say, oh, it's not working. I need to add in the mouthfeel to get to 30 meters. This is a 
gigantic nonsense that is being perpetuated and all the sheep people are going, bah, bah, yeah, that's the way it's done. Uh, and there are the idiots who are also saying, uh, we should learn it early. First of all, you should be able to do a frenzel, a clean frenzel, down to 55 or 60 meters without any mouthfeel. If you can't, then go and learn your frenzel properly. Once you learned mouthfeel, did you then go on to use mouthfeel exclusively for your deep dives? Or you know, because some people don't use it and some people don't think it's necessary or prefer not to use it, were you uh, a convert to the mouthfeel uh, cause after you'd learned it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I there are a few people who can dive deep without using it, but what I've seen over the years of my own diet, not for me personally, but mainly from teaching actually and coaching people is that um, not using mouth fill, I think leads to a higher incidence of trachea squeeze than using mouth fill. Because when you use the mouth fill, you've moved the air to an area where you can manipulate, you can put pressure on it. And then you relax everything below. And so then your lungs are just going to compress according to um, the increase in water pressure. But they're not going to receive any additional pressure or, or manipulation from mechanical movements by the diaphragm or the rib cage or a sucking motion where people had, who are doing reverse packing to suck the air up. Um, I think that it's safer was my, yeah, it was my personal experience. Many, many times I've had people come up to me and say, you know what, Sarah, I can't get beyond 20 meters. I need the mouthfeel. And I'm like, no. And I refuse to take them um, because they're not relaxed. If they can't equalize at 20, they're already too stressed out at that shallow depth. And then they want to layer on another stressful technique, which is going to possibly enable them to go deeper. But that means their lungs aren't adapted. Their mind isn't adapted. And it's just a, a big disaster. So I think there is um, there is like a natural kind of move from uh, frontal to mouthfeel. And um, I think the mouthfeel is a help and it's a way to feel more safe in the water. But I don't like to put it too early because uh, it requires a certain amount of uh, body awareness. And not only body awareness, it requires that you have a certain amount of awareness of yourself in the water. So I think I am a little bit in the middle. I don't, I don't wait until people go 60, 70 meters to be able to teach them outfield, but uh, I think people need to be very comfortable going to 40 meters to really be able to use the mouthfeel as a tool. I think if you teach the mouthfeel too early, you are just adding more problems to people because um, it requires a little bit of uh, awareness of yourself, awareness of what you're doing. So when you do mouthfeel, you kind of... Uh, separate your body, you know, like uh, you separate your mouth, you know, and your upper airways from the rest of your body. 
So to be able to do that and to do it successfully, uh, you need to be having like a good um, free-falling position, a good awareness of yourself, knowing if you are relaxed, if your chest is relaxed, if you're, if you're, um, if your belly is relaxed. So I think uh, to be able to really enjoy and use the mouthfeel successfully, um, not too early, not too late. Enchante Gallardo is one of the deepest women in the United States. Here's her thoughts on using mouthfeel and her own unique experience. Um, yeah, I, I definitely use the mouthfeel technique. Um, I would say it was pretty easy for me to learn in the beginning. I think I started off learning reverse packing um, by doing the grouper call to get to first to get to 40 meters. And then I learned how to do the mouth fill by filling up your cheeks and your mouth and, you know, using that to utilize the frenzel um, to go deeper. I think getting to a certain point, it was pretty easy until I started getting deeper and deeper. Then I realized that equalization, like a lot of other freedivers, became one of my biggest challenges in terms of running out of air and how to ut utilize the air that was left in, in the mouth. Enchante then goes on to talk about some equalization training she took with Miguel Lozano and how important it is to try various techniques and find what works for you. I did that because I wanted to learn more about how other people were diving and different techniques that people were using outside of Hawaii because Hawaii is basically where I, I started my training and started developing my diving. And there, um, it's mostly FII and PFI who are kind of prominent in terms of the agencies that teach. So I just kind of wanted to see what was out there, learn more and how I could apply that to my own diving. Um, cause I think it's important to learn from, a bunch of different people. And I think you can take things from different people and then apply that to your own specific diving because I don't necessarily believe that there's one size fits all for every diver. I think each person kind of has to develop and find what fits best for them and what's more comfortable for them. Um, and that's going to vary, vary from person to person. But it's always important to try different things. So there I was kind of learning about the difference between sequential and continuous mouthfill. And I, so I was trying actually both because um, I thought maybe the continuous might be a better way. But the reason that I realized while I was there that I couldn't use continuous is because I have this leak in my eye. So when I equalize, air kind of escapes through this, through the tear duct. And so if I was to keep constant pressure, it would just cause this huge influx of air to constantly escape. And so I, I realized that I have to do the sequential in order to keep all that air and, or as much air as I possibly can. At what depth did you arrive with a regular frenzel or reverse packing 
before you before you started to really use mouthfeel or felt that you needed to use mouthfeel were you one of the early learners who learned on a level two course kind of thing or were you somebody that came to it when they hit the 60 70 meter range or something like that i was probably reverse packing to about 40 45 and then after that i i learned mouthfeel and started applying the mouthfeel to 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 get deeper so Enchanté mentioned a couple of times there this distinction between sequential and constant pressure mouthfeel. If you're perhaps newer to the sport or if these terms confuse you a little, let me try to explain. We can also apply the terms sequential and constant pressure to just regular frenzel equalization. You can try it for yourself. Pinch your nose and start to frenzel about once every second. Imagine your frenzel is the beating of a drum. Boom, boom, boom. This is a sequential equalization. You apply pressure, then release, apply pressure, and then release. As Marco put it, frenzel on demand. You equalize as you need to as you descend. Now try something else. Pinch your nose, frenzel the air into your nose, feel the nose expand, and then hold the air in there. Hold for, you know, five to ten seconds. That was constant pressure that you applied to your nose, to your ears. So as we descend on a free dive, we can use either of these two methods or a combination of both to frenzel. Constant pressure is more efficient, uh, uses less energy when done properly, but it requires more finesse, more subtle control of the muscles of equalization, including the tongue, because unlike on dry land, as we descend in water, the airspace of the mouth is reducing in volume. This idea of sequential and constant pressure also applies to how we manage the mouth fill, which of course is just an extension of frenzel. In my own experience, I find that as I get better at managing my mouthfeel, I tend towards more smooth, constant pressure equalization, especially in the beginning stages of a dive. At some point, the airspace reduces to the point where I tend to begin to use a more sequential kind of equalization until I reach the point where I'm back in the frenzel position, tongue against the roof of the mouth. Now, one of the big questions is how deep should we begin to fill the mouth, also known as charging the mouth fill, and also how many times do we charge? It varies a lot from person to person. So what I work with my students uh, uh, when we work on the, the mouth fill in the water, we do not work on how deep ch to charge because it's not useful at all to charge very deep because deeper you are, closer you are to the to your um, your limits your attention is lower your awareness is lower and the fear about being very deep can be can be a problem so what i usually i'm used to do i i i'm used to teach to charge in very shallow water i mean around 10 maximum 15 meters, that is more than enough if you use properly the mouthfeel to go to 19 or 90 or 100 meters. I always tell them, remember that if you learn properly the technique, the problem is not the way down anymore, but is the way back. And as soon you do the charge and do, going down, you do a mistake, you turn and you come back. 
Because if you do a mistake and you try to recharge, that means that your goal is not to learn the mouthfeel, but your goal is to go deep. Uh, on a maximum dive, so a maximum depth. So when I'm sort of into the 90s and, and the 100s, um, I will I will always, actually irrelevant of depth, I will always start it at 20. Um, if I'm going for a deeper dive, I will do it sort of in three in three stages. So I sort of do a three-stage mouth fill. So I'm not really rushing to get full because there's still plenty of time before 36 or 40, you know, wherever residual volume is to, to slowly bring the air up, keep equalizing, keep relaxed, keep calm. And then <clears throat> once I've done those sort of three stages to get myself as full as possible, I will then be topping up um, until I can't can't access any more air, which my sense, I, I never checked it, but my sense is that's between 46 and 50 meters. And then I'm, and then I'm done. Uh, depends a little bit from uh, which technique I'm using and uh, if I'm diving with a mask or without a mask. Uh, personally, example for my deepest dive that I performed uh, in the 2018, if I'm not wrong, was 185 meters with the no limits. I was starting from surface with the full mouse field and I was keep popping up until uh, more or less 60 meters. And then from 60, I was uh, starting just the management of the mouse field to arrive to the 185 meters, where I stopped it not for uh, equalization issue, but for uh, other problems. So there I still have air available to equalize. Now I just do mouth fill and then I top up my mouth fill until about, I'd say 30 to 35 meters, depending. I like to take my mouth fill right after 20 meters because I, I feel like that's a good depth where I can pull up a sufficient amount of air, fill my cheeks, and then as I get deeper, then I just kind of top up, make sure it's full at around 30 to 35, and then take it from 30 to 35 to however deep I need to go. Now, one of the main challenges we face when learning this technique is that for many of us, we don't have access to the depths that we think we need to learn. On the other hand, there are ways to practice on the other hand, there are ways to practice mouthfeel in shallower water, as we will learn. And on the other hand, you will hear many recommendations from our guests on how to develop the mouthfeel with exercises we can do on dry land. I think that the dry work is the secret of all equalization techniques. Uh, I, I work... In, I teach equalization mainly in dry session before to go in the water. Why? For a simple reason. Uh, equalization is awareness and coordination. Okay. And I always do this example. Uh, to learn mouthfeel or evolve the equalization techniques, is like uh, to learn to juggle with five balls. What's the name of the these five balls? Those five balls are the glottis, the tongue, the soft palate, the jaw, 
and the chicks. If I give to my students immediately all the five balls and I try to teach them uh, to juggle directly with five ball, they would never learn. To try to teach them equalization technique directly in the waters, in the water, mean to give them the five balls and to ask to juggle walking on the tightrope. Uh, it will be impossible to learn. So according to me, uh, the dry uh, exercises, the dry skills, and the, to learn the control of the, the glottis and then the control of the tongue and then putting them together with coordination and then the soft palate and then to add the third ball uh, mean to find the proper coordination to learn uh, equalization. I divided the dry exercises into groups. The groups of exercise just to develop the awareness of the organs involved in the equalization. So that's our, uh, let's say, a, a protocol of skills where you're not simulating the equalization, but you do something just to take awareness of the glottis, of the subparate, of the tongue, a different position of the tongue and everything. So they're not really related to the equalization, but there are skills that help the freedivers to get more awareness of when the subparate is open, when it's closed, when it can be almost closed, and the glottis open, closed, almost closed, and all this kind of thing. And already this one is a big block of exercises. And they are, uh, I mean, they are the base. I mean, without that one, you cannot go forward. And uh, it's funny because sometimes I found myself teaching uh, the mouse field to some, uh, let's say, expert freedivers because you already dive uh, deep. So in automatic, we consider expert. But then when uh, you go to try this uh, basic exercise, you fail on the awareness. Because uh, a little bit too often we focus uh, on the target to be able or not to do these skills and not on the target to be aware of what we do it while we do these skills. Because I give an example, the auto vent skills, just blowing a balloon with the nose. I mean, in the end, it's not something so difficult. Okay. But the question is, are we ever going under the water with the auto vent in the nose? No. So if while I'm doing this exercise with the auto vent, I'm not perfectly aware of what the tongue is doing, what the soft palate is doing, what the glottis is doing, what my abdominals are doing, then the ability to be able to do the skills is useless. And uh, so the, the skills for the awareness are really important. As soon that we have a good awareness of the organs involved in the equalization, then we can start the skills for uh, the simulation of the mouse here. So we can work on the charges, and repeat the charges thousands of times in front of the mirror to be able to see what we are not able to, to feel, to work on the abdominal relaxation after the contraction, to check the head position, the body posture, the position of the tongue after the charge, the relaxation of the cheeks after the charge. And already we are doing a lot of a big work like this. Then we can start to use tools. I can use uh, or... Uh, the water pipe that I don't know if you know is that uh, tube with the water and the tube inside that uh, I developed uh, probably something like 10 years ago. 
uh, or the echo tool, the electronic device that is just uh, the evolution of my water pipe and uh, taking care about, example, the amount of pressure that you create during the charges. Because one, uh, for my point of view, common mistake is to charge, creating the biggest pressure that I can. Because uh, we have uh, often in the idea that higher pressure, bigger volume. I disagree. Higher pressure usually is lower volume because to don't lose the air, because we manage a lot of pressure, we need to contract a little bit the cheeks, a little bit the lips and everything. So the final result that the volume of the mouthfeel is uh, smaller when you increase the pressure instead of what can be with a low pressure. Plus, uh, anyway, even during the management, the pressure is supposed to be the minimum enough to keep the tubes open, not high. So thanks to these tools, I can uh, try to judge the amount of pressure that they create uh, during uh, the management and not only during the charge. Because one question could be, why create so much pressure for the charge if uh, after this big pressure will probably open my glottis, I will lose some air and then I will manage a smaller mouthfeel. So in the end, it's better to charge a little bit less, more comfortable, spending less energy, and then in consequence, also the management is going to be easier. So definitely, yes, there are a lot of dry skills to simulate the, the mouthfeel management and the echo tool, the electronic device and the water pipe are both two amazing tools because uh, as soon that you know how they work and you understand perfectly how you can train, you can really challenge yourself and simulate a really deep dive on the equalization and uh, even starting to challenge yourself with the whole breath because you can start to do the exercise uh, empty lungs uh, with the diaphragm up uh, with uh, maybe longer time on the management so it's not just charge and blow and uh, so after the charge then uh, if you do the simulation of the management example in 20 seconds it's not realistic because uh, if i charge in 10 meter i suppose to arrive to more or less 70 10 70 on average is 60 seconds. So if I want to do the simulation of the management dry, supposed to be at least 60 seconds. So like this is going to be more realistic. And plus, I will try to be careful about the rhythm of how the hair will escape from my mouth or from my nose. My nose. Because uh, one of the mistakes that I used to do it in the past was starting with the jaw management, super slow, and then starting with the cheek. And then as soon as I was arriving to the tongue, I was going faster because I start to want to breathe. But the truth is that in the water, it's going to be totally the opposite. Not because the air in the tongue is much bigger, but is that amount of air that is going to be used during the deepest part of the dive, where the increase of the ambient pressure will be less. So in consequence, that amount of air will run longer. So usually my suggestion is to manage like one-fourth of the time management with the jaw, one-fourth with the cheek, and two-fourth with the tongue. So that means that half of the management is going to be with the tongue slow, because on my deep dive, uh, the tongue on the 185 meters was like uh, 60 meters. I mean, it was not just a few meters. The main, uh, the, the main uh, um, practice, uh, uh, it is not in the water. I could, this is my first uh, really uh, 
suggestion, don't expect that you need to go in the water, in the sea to, to learn or to practice or to become better in any aspect of your equalization technique, because independently by the equalization technique you use or you want to learn, independently by that, uh, we have to understand how much is important for our mind and body uh, work on the repetition of the movement we want to learn or to practice. And it doesn't really matter if the repetition happens in a real situation while we are diving or with the auto vent or other devices that can help the repetition of the movement, the repetition of the details while we are dry. And this is very important because when we are on dry, when we are on land, uh, we have no, we don't have any uh, external stress such as the depth, uh, the breath hold and stuff like that. Remember, when you want to learn something in the fastest possible way, try to reduce as much as you can the source of uh, the different sources of stress. Because as much stress you have, as less attention and less uh, awareness uh, you can put uh, on the exercise. And the speed of your, the learning process uh, happen, speed up uh, as much attention you put, as more attention you put uh, during the execution of the exercise. So dry exercises, in my opinion, are the basic to become better in the future in the water. There are, uh, let's say, basically two uh, very helpful devices to do the dry equalization exercises training. Uh, the basic one, and now I will explain why I consider it basic, is the pure autovent. The autovent itself um, is the, the, the connection, the, the plastic connector with the balloon. This is the, the, pure, the, the real autovent uh, system. The problem, and this is why after a beginning made by the autovent uh, in an advanced moment, uh, I strongly recommend to leave the autovent beside and start using what you were mentioning, so the, the pipe uh, or the eco tools uh, that is a, an electronic device uh, supplying a certain detail, or a very basic, very, very cheap, everybody can build it up uh, with the five euro probably, uh, using, a, for example, a normal uh, water bottle with a silicone or a soft uh, pipe connected, put it into the, the bottle, connected uh, with your uh, nose. Mm, this is uh, more advanced because if you consider the balloon attached to the autovent, you need to consider that the balloon uh, creates uh, a pressure pushing against you because you inflate the balloon during the exercise, and the balloon tendency is to get deflated. So the tendency of the autovent is to push the air back into your throat, let's say, simplifying. This is not exactly what happens in the sea, because in the sea we do not have a opposite pressure pushing back the air, okay? So for a beginner, it's very good because you have more feedback during the exercise. You have the visual feedback and the pressure feedback that helps a certain process. But after a while, when the exercise is controlled and, and the, the student is aware of the movement, I strongly recommend to use the other device with the pipe because you do not have the pressure going back. And so, for example, when you execute your mouse 
the, the air will pass through the pipe and getting loose into the water of the, um, uh, into the bottle, uh, if you stop pressing, the system stops. While instead, if you stop pressing with the autovent, the balloon tendency is to push it back. So to recreate a much, much closer to reality situation during the dry exercise, the use of the pipe or of the eco tools, it's uh, really, really good because it recreates by real the feeling and the perception that the diver will have by real during the dive. Mm, I think dry exercises are good because they bring awareness and equalization. I normally promote with my students that um, they focus on the equalization on certain exercises. Uh, they are either dry or sometimes we do it in wet exercises. But the moment we do like deep diving, equalization is just one part of the diving. So yes, I'm all in for dry exercises. Um, one of my favorite ones is a visualization that I normally do after I teach mouthfeel, which um, basically what you do is you put the nose slip. You don't set it uh, too tight. So actually, every time you're equalizing, you do lose uh, a little bit of air. And I make people lay down, relax. Start the dive with like a 12 to 14 equalization, depending how they are in the water, if they are more flexible for equalizing or not. And then after that, I make them do a passive exhalation and then charge the mouthfeel and then start equalizing and imagine that they are diving and seeing how they keep um, equalizing. So basically, What you're doing is that every time you are equalizing, you're losing a little bit of air, which is a very good way to pretend that you're going down in the water because we cannot uh, pretend changes of pressure. But because the volume in the mouth is changing, then it's quite similar to what happens when we're going down in the water. And yeah, that's a very good exercise because... There is no cheating there, and it's uh, quite straightforward like the mouthful works. So my idea is that you work in dry, so then when you go in the water, then you stop thinking about the mouthful and about the equalization, and it becomes uh, quite easy and quite relaxed and quite natural. And you just react to changes of pressure, and you are focusing on other things as you're going down. Yeah, I would say... It's um, practicing equalize, um, dry equalization is really good in helping to develop a conscious awareness of the different muscles and elements that are involved with equalization so that you're also more aware of those on your dive. So the muscles that are involved, you have what, the epiglottis, the soft palate, and the tongue. So doing... Um, epiglottis control exercises so that you can strengthen that muscle and also recognize, you know, that specific muscle and then also the soft palate. Um, because I've definitely had issues with both and especially with the soft palate, you know, what's, what's also frustrating is when you're on a dive and this is 
happened um, is when you're when you do a deep dive and you you have air in your mouth and you know you have enough air to make that dive and then suddenly your soft palate locks and you can't utilize that air. Um, so you know being able to to isolate those movements isolate those movements and and just have a conscious awareness of that that muscle I think will help. Um, also the epiglottis strengthening that in terms of keeping your epiglottis closed when you do do the mouth fill so that it doesn't leak back into the lungs because that's also another issue that people have. Um, definitely I've done it swallowing the mouth fill or some of, sometimes the air just leaks back into your lungs. Um, and a lot of that I think is caused by tension or maybe contractions. I know that when I hyper-focus on equalization on my dives and I'm like thinking, thinking about, Am I going to be able to equalize um, on this dive? Am I going to make my depth because of equalization? Then I tend to hyper-focus on it. And then I start doing all these weird things with my mouth. And, I'm, you know, cheeks are sucking in. And then all of a sudden the air is gone. I'm like, I don't even know what, what just happened there. I don't know what I did. But uh, yeah. the air went somewhere. <laughs> You're at 70 meters plus And you suddenly decide it's a, a good time to start experimenting with how you move things around in your mouth yeah yeah right <laughs> move things around you're just like moving air to the yeah. front to the back and like what 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 am i doing what did i just do i i don't even know yeah. um so getting people to take it on an exhale and then just wait until they get contractions because one that again nothing is perfect because we cannot simulate the exact conditions that we have at depth. But when you are lying on your bed with empty lungs, with a full mouth fill, you're going to experience the fact that the body is going, what the fuck? Why have I got all this air up here when I need it in my lungs? Because that's how I absorb the oxygen. Um, and then the contractions start coming. One, that's going to be stressful. So you're going to learn to deal with keeping this closed, even though your mind might start freaking out. And two, you've also got the physiological suction of a contraction, which hopefully you're not going to have at depth, but you will have that compression going on, which means that the deeper you go, this volume is going to get smaller and smaller in relation to the air volume that you've got in your mouth. So just lying there, going through a minimum of three contractions. So until you stop swallowing and you're really focusing on staying relaxed. Okay, moving on to the next topic and something of a hot topic in freediving is the value of partial lung dives, specifically in this case for developing equalization. Not the only reason you might use partial lung dives, but one of them. What we mean by partial lung dives is any dive performed with less than full lungs. We can use the amount of air left in the lungs after a passive exhalation, for example, also known as FRC diving, or indeed, we could dive with our lungs completely emptied of air, also called RV or residual volume diving. The basic premise here is that we can simulate deeper dives in shallower water. FRC and RV dives are not only used for mouthfill training, but there is a crossover here. And by the way, I personally think the terms are silly, inaccurate, and should be abandoned altogether, but that's a topic for another episode. 
uh, when uh, I work with FR and I work with FRC never with the recreational freedivers. So for with the ones that dive uh, shallower than 50, 60 meters, I never work with the FRC. I teach them because I use FRC as a feedback to become aware if during the mouthfeel we do some mistake and we do some reverse pack. Because when I look at the competition, uh, we are lucky because now with the dive eye, we can see how the, uh, how the freediver dive. I see may, still many freedivers that uh, around 60, 70 or 80 meters uh, swallowing the mouthfeel, they lose the mouthfeel and they start to do air transition from lungs to the mouth by uh, small reverse packing. They are still reverse packing. So that means that you use a charge for a part of your dive, but after that you have to, to, to move back in shifting air very deep, where you lose relaxation, you lose concentration, it's easier to fall in the narcosis or you, to have injuries like lung squeeze or something like this. Because uh, personally I don't like so much the efforts dive and even less the RV dive. I never did it. I mean, I did some to test and to check how I was working. And uh, one of the times that I tested, uh, I didn't have a good experience because I was uh, still a beginner. And uh, who suggested me to do the efforts dive, suggested me to hyperventilate a little bit before the dive because the feeling was not going to be great. I was a beginner, so I did it. This guy was a really big champion, so... If they say that I have to do it, I do it. And uh, after a few days, coming back from a 30-meter dive in FRC, I black out. And uh, blacking out in FRC, it's easy to get a wet blackout. So the moment that I black out, <coughs> I nailed water because I was under the water. And uh, they need to bring me to the hospital. And the situation was definitely not nice. And uh, plus, on the FRC dive, there is a big limit that is the dive time management. If you charge the mouse fill in surface with the nose clip, you're supposed to arrive to at least uh, 30 meters. But 0.30, effort C is a 25, 30 second dive. And uh, doesn't match what is going to be the reality where you're going to charge in 10, you're supposed to arrive to 70. It's already going to be the double of the time. And one of the biggest issues during the management of the mouse fill is the control of the glottis. So if I control the glottis in an FRC dive for 25, 30 seconds, maybe I can do it. When I can try to do the same, but during a deep, deepest dive, doesn't work anymore. And this is something that uh, I saw often in the freedivers uh, doing these uh, FRC dives. So personally, I don't suggest and I prefer to, to work uh, full lungs, except that we are talking about a really top athletes with a lot of experience that in that case, uh, the situation is different. Huh, good point again, good point. Uh, for sure is an option, for sure. Um, what I recommend to my athlete 
uh, it's not this way. Uh, but again, I want to underline the reason why. Uh, it's not a mistake to do FRC diving or whatever, to practice uh, a mouse lift. But um, my question is why? Because there must be a reason why to do something. In my opinion, even a good reason to do something. Uh, starting from the point of view, because the, 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 the starting point of view is really important. Starting from the point of view that uh, I know the importance of the repetition of some movement to learn the movement. Uh, is a matter of fact that I can easily demonstrate in a second that the repetition of uh, any exercise, now talking about the mouse field, the repetition of the correct movement for the mouse field is uh, probably 20 times higher than the number of the repetition you can do in a normal depth session, even in FRC. Uh, consider, I believe that in, well, let's say, considering one hour uh, training uh, on a buoy, generally in one hour, uh, I would say that uh, it's possible maybe to do between five, six, and seven dives. Uh, let's exaggerate because every six minutes you want to start, that in my opinion is a little, a little too, too much, but let's say. 10 dives in one hour, I don't believe anyone can really do seriously focusing more than 10 dives an hour. My number is more six. But let's ex exaggerate to 10 dives per hour. Uh, during 10 dives, you practice 10 times the charge and the execution. 10 times. In uh, dry training with the auto vent, with the echo tools, with the pipe, I can probably do 10 repetitions in 10 minutes, even less. And so in one hour, I do 60 repetitions, not 10. And already it's a six times more repetition that provide, as a matter of fact, six times faster learning. If people like to wank in the water and playing with mouse field, it's fine, it's okay. But if people, uh, for any reason, want to rush the learning process and they want to learn uh, uh, really faster, not really fast, but faster as possible, uh, the technique uh, has to be practiced dry. I think they are both uh, very useful tools, but I think they are, as I told you before, if you, I think FRC, it's a little bit more, more easy to use with people that is more inexperienced. I use it quite a lot. Uh, as a, as a tool to realize or to be more aware of your relaxation with the FRCs. And with the RBs, I also use it, but I use it for more advanced uh, divers because I think that um, if you use the RB too early and you use it with people that is not really aware of themselves, it's very easy for them to hurt themselves. And uh, we as coach, we, we should be working not to promote people hurting themselves and hurting their lungs or hurting their upper airways. But in uh, freedivers, they need to like be uh, more aware of the equalization or actually to have a more natural equalization. I think the RB is one of the best tools that you can have. And in terms of the FRC, I think it's a very good uh, tool because if you are not relaxed, then you cannot equalize and then the mouth, you are very unsuccessful at uh, keeping your mouth filling your mouth. It is uh, 
a better tool for people that is like a medium level. I wouldn't use it for beginners, but I would use it for intermediate students. And actually, I do use it a lot in my trainings. And uh, RB I use, but I use for my coaching and for advanced students. Yeah, I think FRCs are should be one of the major, major tools in anybody's training kit um, because they give us the opportunity to practice the, the mechanics of mouthfeel at more accessible depths where we don't need to exhaust ourselves. We don't need to stress ourselves out mentally by doing maximum attempts all the time. So we just get more time to practice that pressure change. It's not 100% accurate. Nothing is. Like to do a deep dive, you've got to do a deep dive, right? But it's a really good second best, um, more of a controlled environment where you're getting the pressure changed. You can feel how that is reducing the volume of air in your mouth and how you then need to... um, use the different parts of the mouthfeel mechanic to ensure that your ears are equalized. And I would also say um, FRCs are really, really important for depth adaptation. So they kind of, they have like a double um, function for depth training. It's like you're really, you're putting your body in this environment where it's getting ready for the much more serious depths um and building up your adaptation and learning the technique and the mechanics of mouthfeel yes absolutely i think it's a great way to simulate deeper dives without having to stress out your body of actually doing those deeper dives you can do a high like a higher quantity so you can practice more so you can do maybe like five frcs as opposed to one deep dive um, it's a good it's a good way to really practice that, um, get comfortable and not kind of feel the stress of doing a really deep dive. Um, and then you're still also getting that that lung stretch and and adaptation and flexibility at the same time. This past vertical blue, I actually had issue, a really big issue with equalization, and it was kind of frustrating because, I was at depths that I knew I could do, and all of a sudden there was this huge issue and mental block. And I was, it was frustrating because I was questioning and I was thinking, why can I not equalize to these depths that I know I can equalize to and have been able to equalize easily to before? And I realized that it was definitely psychological. Um, and I, because I was thinking about it too much, I was creating tension. I think the tension was causing me to do all these weird things with my mouth, swallow the air, causing the soft palate to lock. So I took some time, like a couple weeks off before the world championships and in order to work on equalization. So I was working, doing FRCs, um, basically taking a mouth fill at the surface and seeing how far that could take me with that Um with that mouthfeel and equalizing just to practice without having to actually do deeper dives. And then you can do multiple um, dives. And what I was focusing on was relaxation. And actually when I was focusing on relaxation, it, it felt like everything just kind of came together and my body just knew what to do. 
instead of hyper-focusing on every technical aspect of it. And when I went to World Championships, all my dives were, were really good. Now, Marco introduces here a very interesting concept, the idea of the delta of the mouthfill. So the delta of the mouthfill is a way to quantify how much air you can take over how much distance and how much change in pressure. A higher delta should lead to a deeper dive, a more effective use of air. I need to introduce another important point, otherwise people doesn't get the, the importance of it. When I teach freediving to my athlete, uh, I keep them uh, training and working with them uh, until they reach uh, what is uh, what I call uh, the magic number, that is uh, 3.5 of delta. What does it mean? The delta is the diff in this specific uh, topic. Uh, I consider the delta the difference in pressure between the depth of the charge and the depth in which you end all the air, the difference between the charge and the rival point, let's say. Okay, that is the delta. Uh, I asked to my athlete to learn how to perform a minimum, minimum attention delta of 3.5. If we translate this into practice, means that my athlete must be able to charge at the surface before the duck dive, before leaving the surface, charging, and they have to be able to dive 25 meters. 25 meters, we have 3.5 bar. At the surface, we have one bar. So 3.5 divided 1 is 3.5. Okay, this is the delta. If they are, when they are able to do that, I move the alarm to 10 meters, for example, okay, to simplify. 10 meters, we have two bars of charging pressure. By 3.5, that is their ability to maintain the volume and to equalize, 2 by 3.5 makes 7, 7 bar. So 7 bar, they are in 60 meter. In fact, the next step is to maintain the ability to charge 10 meter and closing the dive at 60 meter, what I call the famous 10, 60. 10, the charge, 60, the, the, the arrival point. If we keep the same delta and we move the alarm to 20 meter where we have three bar, three bar by 3.5 makes 10.5 bar of pressure that is equal to 95 meter. In fact, my athletes are regularly able to charge 20 and ending the dive at 95. Because the delta, it's always the same. And according to the depth of the charge, the delta creates more and more and more depth, obviously, for, for a game of loss of volume. Uh, this is what I ask my athlete before even thinking about competing. Yeah, so I mean, that's, uh, you know, so what you're saying there is, you know, in, rather than thinking about FRC and RV, if you have 25 meters of water, then you have everything that you need for 95 meters of water. Bravissimo. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Yes. In fact, my, 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 my training system that is very well uh, developed and integrated uh, under any point of view, to be honest, uh, I, I, I work a lot with my athlete, not to perform a maximum depth training, but to perform a maximum 
management of the technique training. So what I really like here is that we conclude from this conversation that before you start with FRC and RV dives to practice your mouthfeel, why not work on taking your mouthfeel from the surface and trying to achieve 25 meters? It's a simple technique on full lungs that will be enormously helpful later down the line. Now, if you spend any amount of time around free divers in training, you're bound to hear many people complaining that they lost their mouthfeel or swallowed their mouthfeel. Why does this happen? I consider swallowing not, an, a, mechan not a mechanical mistake, but a psychological mistake. It's not a coincidence um, that when you are stressed uh, for any reason, generally you start uh, swallowing saliva as a natural uh, reflex. Um, another uh, natural consequence of the stress can be tensing the abdominal. Well, as soon as we get scared because of a sound, because of something, immediately we get tense in the abdominal. It's a natural reaction, uh, very well uh, studied. Um, so swallowing generally means uh, that the people is under stress, that the reason why is under stress, uh, and that uh, may, may require hours uh, to be understood. Maybe a new depth, Maybe I'm going for a PB, <laughs> I'm stressed, and uh, in the dive before, five meters shallower, I didn't swallow, I start to go for my personal best, and I start swallowing. <laughs> Stress because of the unknown, because of the PB. Maybe I start from a, a normal dive, but maybe more current, maybe a more rough uh, weather, maybe something has happened before my dive uh, distract me. So a normal dive that generally execute without many mistakes, boom, I, I swallow. Um, then these are, in my professional experience, uh, the reason why to swallow. Or even just simply the stress because I didn't train much on dry. I didn't have enough experience in the techniques I want to use. And so I try to use it in the water, but far back in my mind, mm, I don't know, it's going to work. Maybe yes, maybe not. Who, who knows? Stress, swallowing. So tendency is a reaction, in my opinion, is a physical reaction to a psychological stressful input received by some something. <laughs> so mainly is this, it has nothing to do with the saliva. I've heard people, no, you know, because then my, my mouth uh, dries off uh, very early and so I need to swallow. And, no, guys, you don't need to really swallow. <laughs> you are just uh, leaving your brain free to run, free to do what is uh, convenient for him. Remember another point, because as, as we know, swallowing generally uh, stops your dive, because after you swallow, generally you, you can't uh, re-equalize anymore, okay? Uh, so it is a very, very basic uh, detail when our brain doesn't feel safe. Remember, our brain is not really working for us. Eh? Don't believe your brain is working for you. It, it's not like that, okay? This is very basic, basic uh, psychological knowledge, okay? We need to fight against our brain because our, our brain is uh, 
easy to get bored. Our brain doesn't like the unknown. Our brain tendency doesn't like new things. Okay? So if uh, he's scared or stressed by something during the dive, he perfectly know he perfectly knows that uh, it's enough to swallow and then we need to stop diving. So it's a kind of uh, self uh, how to say um it's a kind of self uh, uh, bad habit uh, when our brain is not uh, all right with what we are going to do. Uh, for him, it's enough uh, to swallow and uh, he, we will stop the dive. Um, so it's more related to psychology, in my opinion. Uh, but basic, your basic problem there is abdominal tension. That's why you're swallowing it. You're not actually swallowing it. It's a misnomer, again, and leads to misconceptions. You're simply getting abdominal tension. The moment you tense up in the abdomen, you can't do it. You can't equalize. It's the end of equalization. How do you get, how do you improve that? By doing specialized pressure training where you don't any longer react to it. Look, if you have somebody throwing a punch at you to your midriff, as that punch gets closer to you, you you begin to tense up. That's what's happening with you with water pressure. And you have to train the subconscious mind in such a way that you don't tense up at a particular depth and you gradually increase it. Yeah, we use RV training for that to get acclimatization to pressure. So Aaron brings us back to RV training there. Something I mentioned I had explored in my own training, something I think is extremely important and very valuable, and yet very poorly understood. Watch this space for more on that in another episode. You know, like, if you swallow the mouthfeel, I think uh, the first reason why people tend to use the mouthfeel is more at the beginning, um, because storing air in your mouth is not really comfortable. More because you're not used to, you know, like we are animals of, uh, we are, we're used to do something and then changing or being flexible and, and make changes. It takes a while and mouthfeel is one of those things that you need to adapt to. And swallowing the mouthfeel for me, normally at the beginning when I teach it, it's more related to the fact that people are not used to have air in the mouth and they are not used to equalize with this uh, stored air in the mouth. For more advanced divers, it's actually not so normal that they keep on uh, swallowing the mouthfeel, except uh, they get tense or they get uh, um, unfocused about the dive or X uh, kind of thing. But I think in more advanced uh, freedivers, the failure on using the mouthfeel have more to do either with the leaking of the mouthfeel, which the difference between swallowing and leaking is that swallowing, it goes to the stomach and leaking, it goes back to the lungs. And it has to do with the fact that because we are unrelaxed and there is a big difference between the pressure that you have in the mouth and the pressure that you have in your lungs, um, the glottis cannot withstand these differences. And then it is uh, semi-open and the air 
keeps on going down. And it's also related to movement of the tongue. And I think the most common mistake uh, with uh, deeper free divers is in the transitions. And I speak a lot about this with my customers that I coach. Um, free diving is a, I, I always say that free diving is a little bit like your brain. Your brain doesn't support uh, big changes. You know, it doesn't support big changes of, uh, or, or things that are new. And the same happened with freediving. Whenever you have like um, extreme changes, and this is, for example, you take your mouthfeels, you start to equalize, uh, you can use like constant pressure, or you can use your cheeks. And then normally what we start to do is that we start to use the, when this run out, we start to use the tongue and use a, a little bit of frenzel towards the end of the dive. So... It is most commonly that people tend to leak when there is a switch between constant pressure or between the cheeks and the frenzel, you know, when you use the last part of the air with the frenzel equalizing. So something that is pretty obvious in freediving is that if you wait too long, to do this switch, if you wait until you need to do it, normally when you try to move the tongue, it's uh, too hard. And then actually the air that you were, you had left in your mouth, you it goes back to the lungs. So that's a common one. The other one is the lack of relaxation uh, in the stomach and in the chest. So then there is a big difference of pressure between your mouth and your uh, lungs, and then the glottis cannot withstand these uh, very big differences in the pressure. So something that happens constantly as we start free falling, you know, like uh, we say, like uh, you're not relaxed, and people say, no, I am relaxed, but actually relaxation is a skill, and it's a skill that you need to keep on practicing as you go down in the water, and you need to pay at pay attention to that. So basically, I always say that you are keeping kind of a body scan where you go between relaxing your jaw and relaxing your tongue, then relaxing your chest and relaxing your belly. And this, uh, you keep on, as you go down, you keep on keeping this relaxation because as soon as the dive becomes too long, we tend to tense, yeah, in the shoulders, in the chest, in the belly. So I think um, the leaking of the mouth is related to a lack of relaxation uh, within either the shoulders, the chest, or the stomach. So this is something that I saw, and it um, I experienced it for myself, firstly, in my deep diving and it was then when I started coaching, I was like, oh, what, you know, what do I actually do? And why, why, why was I swallowing? Why are other people swallowing? Um, what I saw is that people are swallowing typically between 50 and 60 meters. That's where they run into trouble. And if ever I got an email or somebody was sitting in front of me, you know, I'm swallowing. I'm like, it's around 55 meters. They're like, yeah, how do you know? Because it's always, always that case. And what I realized is that, so what I was talking about, you know, practicing this reduction of volume, 
when you practice this dry, um, the first bit where you've got this really high volume of high pressure pressure air in your cheeks and your mouth, um, to to compress it, you're using the jaw, or you're you're using your lips, or you're using your cheeks, and you're moving the air back. And there's a point where the volume has reduced, and you can't use that anymore. And so people who are learning math, or they've done Frenzel up to this point. So what they instinctively then do is go, oh, so now I use my tongue again. And the tongue starts pumping. And of course, as soon as you activate the tongue without the glottis staying locked, the air's gone. And that's what's happening when people are swallowing. And it's so when, and that volume of air reaches that sort of more flaccid state, like you just don't have the pressure in the cheeks to keep, um, moving the air back, that you instinctively, you know you need to use the tongue, but up until this stage, you've always used the tongue without the glottis being locked. And so there's this subtle adjustment that then needs to happen in the second phase of the mouth fill, which is then going back to something much more similar to a normal frenzil, but the glottis has to stay locked. And that's that's what's happening for people, is that they're instinctively frenzling, but not keeping the throat locked. No, I mean, for me, one thing that is not discussed about um, when we talk about mouthfeel, because it seems to be too far away to be relevant, but it's the pelvic floor. But the pelvic floor has so much connective tissue into the lower spine and then the lower spine into the diaphragm. And one thing that I see a lot is that the pelvic floor is somewhere where we really we want to have a, a sense of control and it's also where we hold a lot of sort of anxiety and fear and we kind of grip. Um, but that gripping in the lowest part of the abdomen actually puts pressure on the diaphragm and st- and prevents it from having that beautiful soft upward movement for pressure. And finally, Federico takes us out here with a little observation on just how important the mouthfill was for moving the deepest diving records deeper and what now lies in the way of further progress in depth. You know, in 2001, the deepest dive in the world, the world record was 80 meters done by Umberto Pellizzari in constant weight. Okay. After 10 years, so from 2001 or 2011, after 10 years, the world record moved to 124 meters. That means that in only 10 years, we have an improvement of depth of 57%. That is amazing, is unbelievable. Okay. And this changed completely the, the free diving era. Now we are in the third year because from 2011 up up right now, so another 10 years, we are around 130 meters. So that's mean six meters more in the last 10, 11 years. That's mean that uh, is not the equalization anymore, the problem, but is the dive time. So 
so there we have it, a deep dive into mouthfeel equalization. I hope you found the conversations interesting, maybe even helpful. Feel free to get in touch if you have anything you would like to say about this episode or anything to add if you think we missed something. The email is donny at freediveandthrive.com. Also, follow up on Facebook. Uh, find the Freediving Journal and Freedive Cafe podcast community forum and strike up a conversation there. I'm sure there's a lot more to be said on this topic. I'd love to hear everyone's opinions, what everyone does themselves personally. How deep do you fill the mouth? How deep do you take? it um, any insight that you have into this topic would be great to hear over on the socials if you're truly dedicated to this sport and would like to listen to the full three and a half hours of interviews with the guests consider becoming a supporter through patreon if you appreciate the project i'm putting together here that's the best way to say thanks you can do that at patreon.com slash cafe thanks for listening big love to you all and dive safe